This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning. It's raining outside. Hallelujah. That reminds me of that line in Madagascar that I can't say, so I won't say it. Remember the hippo scene? And she's like, it's raining, man. Hallelujah. <laughs> but she's a hippo. I guess hippos can say those kinds of things. Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. I want you to be able to follow along. Please forgive me for that last statement about the reigning men thing. Now I feel weird. Um, yeah, I blame Ronnie. And what's going on over here anyway? I'm going to need some of you guys to come over to this section. So, it, Jason, can you move over to right there? Just kidding. The title of today's message, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, is Check Before You Wreck. It was going to say, Check Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself, but I didn't want to offend anybody. You know, people would say, like, you're a pastor, you can't say stuff like that. I can, and I do, but just so nobody's mad at me, I, it's not the official title. The official title is Check Before You Wreck. And it goes along with our word also. We've had four studies through Ecclesiastes, therefore we've had four words, since we have a word for the day for each study that we go through in Ecclesiastes. What was, for 10 points, what was the first week's word? Purpose. What was week two? Contentment. Number three? Time. Number four? Companionship. There was... Yeah, good job, guys. There was only one person in the first service. There was, I think, two of you this time. So we've got more people paying attention. <laughs> By the way, on the calendars in your seat backs, on the back side of the calendar is a place for you to take notes. If you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to, um, to do that, especially hear what the Lord has for us today. Chapter 5, our fifth word, the word of the day is rest rest. Rest is different from contentment. Contentment is a state where you are okay with what you're going through. Rest is a place that you have to uh, allow yourself to be in or get to. It's different. It may be similar, but it's different. And we're going to be talking about rest today um, throughout chapter 5, and this chapter split into two sections with a conclusion at the end. If you're taking notes, the first section is God and man. The second section is riches and stuff. And then there is a conclusion afterward. Rest. Do you know that there's an actual definition for the word burnout? You guys know what it is to be burnt out? Anybody been burnt out before? Raise your hand. Yeah, everybody should raise their hand. The definition of burnout is a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. It occurs when you feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and unable to meet constant demands. I think we have a problem in, in our society today with, with burnout and not being able to recognize when we need to take some rest. You know, God is big on rest. God is so big on rest that when he was creating the world, it said it took him six days. And on the seventh day, God did what? He rested. Shabbat or Sabbath. And, and not only did he rest, he said, I'm going to sanctify this day. I'm going to make it holy, different from the other days. In that, in this day, man can rest. And how many of us actual, actually take an actual Sabbath day's rest? How many of us? Not in America. 
We work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And we ask ourselves, why are people going crazy? Why are anxieties and anxiety medications and antidepressants prescribed more in America than double and triple and quadruple most other countries? Why do we have this epidemic here? Because we're constantly telling people, you're not doing enough, you're not doing it fast enough, and you better hurry up and do more, or you're not going to have any satisfaction out of life. It's a lie. And what we need to do is we need to take seriously the fact that, that God says, hey, I gave you a day, and it doesn't have to be Sunday. It could be any day, especially if you live in Vegas and the schedules that we have. It needs to be a time where you just unplug. The thing about burnout is it's not just physical. It's emotional, psychological, it's everything. It's, every, it's just wanting to give up, to just stop. But you won't get to that point as quickly. <laughs> you won't get to that point if you're, if you're continuing to find your place, yourself in places of rest when you're, when you're stopping. So the reason I said that is because of this. Even your mind. Turn off the phone Stop going to social media. Even the things that you think you're doing that, that is a time of rest, it's not restful. It's not restful. So you got to unplug. You know, Grace and I, last weekend, we had an opportunity to run up to southern Utah. It's our happy place. There's trees and water, and it's really incredible. And we had an opportunity to run up for a day. And I was thinking to myself before we were going, <clears throat> crazy, busy, busy, crazy, 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 crazy. Friday comes, Grace is getting off work. We're going to pack the truck and, and drive up for a day, you know? So, and I'm thinking to myself as we're getting close to the evening time to leave, is this even really worth it? You know, you got to pack everything and then you're driving three and a half hours to get there and then you get there and you enjoy it, but then you got to pack everything back up and drive three and a half hours to get back down. And I just don't know if this is worth it. And then we, we drove up, we went on hikes with the kids, um, we, we went to this creek, this, the Mammoth Creek, and when you hike all the way up to the top of it, you can go to the source where the, where the creek starts, and it's a decent creek, it's, it's flowing pretty well, but you can actually get to the source where the creek is literally coming out of some rocks in the ground. It's just like, dribble, 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 and it's like, whoosh. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Look, this is the source. This is actually coming out of the ground. And then we were driving back home, and we had this conversation in the truck on the, on the drive back. Man, that was so worth it. It was so worth it to just get out of town, unplug, and just rest in the Lord. And I need that. You know, I love Psalm 23, I need the shepherd as a sheep to take me and to lie me down in green pastures, to bring me by, beside quiet or still waters. And then what happens is he starts to restore my soul, you know, and I'm getting a place where I can come back to the lunacy here I can come back to the craziness and I'm okay for a little bit longer because I'm able to just be in his presence and rest. Another conversation that, that Grace and I had, we were, we've been talking about restfulness lately and resting and how God has given us opportunity to rest and whether we're going to take advantage of that opportunity or not because we still choose whether we're going to slow down or not, right? But I was talking to, to Grace and Martha and Mary came up. It's just crazy, you know, how Martha was busy about serving the Lord, you know? And then she goes out and flips out on Jesus. If you can flip out on Jesus, I don't know exactly how one, but she's like, Jesus, my sister's not helping me. You need to tell her to get in the kitchen and help me. And he says, Martha, you're busy with many things. And your sister has chosen the better thing. She's sitting down and she's listening to me, what I have to say. She's resting. Sometimes there can be a need to do things, but we have to stop on occasion and sit at the feet of Jesus and allow him 
to restore our souls. So this is what we're going to be looking at in chapter 5. If it's not right there, it's definitely uh, right underlying. Throughout the whole chapter, we're going to see how it it doesn't come up expressly in a word, but it's definitely present throughout all the circumstances and examples that are given in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So before we dive into chapter 5 verse 1, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that that your desire for us and example to us is that we need to be restful people. And we need to turn our backs on the lie of the world that restlessness is good because we understand that it's not good. It's not healthy to be in a continual restless state. And God, today we submit ourselves to you. We sit at your feet. And we pray that you do that, that restful work that you do so well of restoring our souls, allowing us to be in a place that we can be good representatives of you when we go back out into the world tomorrow. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for the time that we can, we can sit down at your feet, have ears to hear, and worship you through the studying of your word. Father, we pray and thank you for the time of worship and for the, the, the talent that we have on our worship team and that we can offer the fruit of our lips to you as we sing worship together. Your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. Father, we also thank you that, that you provide for us, you take care of us, and we pray that you'd bless all of the tithes and offerings that are given to you today and that they would be done in a heart of worship, not in a heart of have to necessity. We love you, God. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 1. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. This literally means in Hebrew, be careful where you place your foot. Because what we have a tendency to do, especially in our culture, life is so busy, there's so much stuff going on, it's kind of we're just recklessly going through life. And we got to do this now, we got to do that now, and we got to go to church, and we got to serve, and we got to blah, blah, blah. There's always something to do. And, and, and the, the busyness and craziness of life can creep over into our relationship with God. And this is instructing us, be careful that you don't do that. Be careful that you're not just so busy with life and busy with, with doing the things that you need to do or you have to do, that you're not being careful in your steps while you're doing it. Listen, look at what he says. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Draw near to hear. Can I ask you guys a question? Did you come to church today to hear from God? Did you come to church to hear from the Lord? Or did you come to church because you knew it's what you had to do? You know what, God? I got an offering. I got a sacrifice that I'm going to make for you. It's Sunday morning, it's raining outside, I want to stay in bed and eat chocolate chip cookies, but I'm going to sacrifice my time in bed with my cookies, and I'm going to go to church. Now, this is as much a warning for me as it is for you. I'm not trying to be hard on you or difficult, it's just, this is the reality. I almost didn't come to church this morning. (laughs) But we can't easily slip into that mindset. And the instruction is, life is busy. What are we coming here for? We're coming here to hear because when we hear from God, what does that make possible in our lives? It makes possible for me to enter into rest a lot easier, a lot easier when I hear from the Lord. Because it's God speaking to me. It's God speaking to you. It's God speaking to us. Yes, I want to I wanna just sit at your feet right now, Jesus. 
the, the opposite is the sacrifice of fools. This is connected pretty closely, I believe, to um, obedience and sacrifice. And this is also connected to Rome, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, which I don't know if we'll have time to look at today. We could turn there and look at it, but it's a pretty big section on rest. And how it's interesting that the children of Israel were, were God so facilitated a relationship with them and his purpose and intention in and through that relationship was that they could have true rest, right? And the 40 years in the wilderness, it says that they failed to enter into God's rest. And then they went into the promised land and they still didn't enter into the rest of God in the way that he had intended and planned for them. And the warning in Hebrews chapter 4 is like, don't be like them, Rest should be something that has marked you as a believer. It should be something that sets you apart. It's a privilege. Jesus said it wasn't man was made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. What does he mean by that? He means it's meant to be your benefit. Allow it to benefit you. And stop focusing on the sacrifices so much. Because what does it say? The sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. This isn't exactly what was happening with the Sadducees and Pharisees in Jesus' time. It's so much to do. You know, Jesus specifically, intentionally, purposefully healed people on the Sabbath to rub their nose in it. Why? Because he wasn't breaking the Sabbath. It was their own laws that they had made that said that Jesus couldn't do those things. So he's like, hey, guy with the withered hand, put your hand out. You can't do that. Are you kidding me? You guys are so about sacrifice. We've sacrificed everything so this day could be special and holy. So nobody gets healed on the Sabbath day. What? See how we kind of take God out and put man's law in. And the next thing you know, God isn't allowed to move anymore. Verse 2, do not be rash with your mouth and, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And that's true, right? God's in heaven, you're on earth. And, and I was talking to somebody the other day, they're having a really bad scene. They're like, and this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. And ah, I'm so upset and I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, listen, you don't know. You're right. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's a handful of people, there's a few people right now that are in my life that I love dearly who have just had miraculous God bombs dropped on them recently. Their whole life changes in a one conversation for the good, like their whole life. And it's like, isn't it crazy how you, you don't know what's going on. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know the blessings that God is going to shower down on you. And even though your life can change in an instant for the good or the bad, but we're focusing on the good right now because adulting is hard. It can happen in an instant. You are on earth. God is in heaven. He knows what you're going through. He's, he knows what he's doing. Now just stop it. Just stop complaining. Stop being mad. God is a good God. He loves you. He wants to do good things in your life. And don't be rash with your mouth. Also, I think this speaks of uh, reverence. You know, we've kind of lost them. Not we. We haven't. But there's many people who call themselves Christians that have really lost a reverence for God. I had people say to me, hey, Tim, you're pretty funny. I'm like, looks aren't everything, buddy, okay? Thank you. The laughing at the not laughing is almost sad. <laughs> Nobody's laughing. Now we're going to laugh. So Tim feels even more dumb. Just kidding. I say, yeah, I know. I thank you. I'm a funny guy. I like it. I embraced it. You know, and, and there's some people that don't like it. And it's like, there's not a lack of reverence for God because I make fun of myself. There's not a lack in the reverence of God because we look at things from a different perspective. I'm just, I just want to be who, who I am. You know, I just want to be me. That's who I am. I'm a goofball. I'm sorry. But there's definitely still a measure. There's definitely a level of reverence to God because we, I, I do want to be careful what I say because God is in heaven and I'm on earth. 
But there's some people who have kind of lost that reverence for God, and I think that they may be uh, heading toward the camp of it's about what they do for God and their sacrifices. Verse 3, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Have you ever noticed before, I don't know if this is true for you, but it, you know, it says it in that verse. Have you ever noticed before that the more anxious and busy and frustrated and all those things that makes life crazy busy and brings about burnout. Have you ever noticed when you're in one of those seasons that is getting crazy that you have really weird, funky dreams and you dream about people and, and some of them can be good dreams, but a lot of times it's bad dreams. That's what he says. The dreams come from, from an excess of activity. You're doing too much. You're too involved. You're, you're stretched thin. Your brain can't even heal itself properly at night because it's just going bonkers. And a fool's voice is known by his many words. Did you ever meet somebody like that before? And you're like, you just need to shut your mouth. <laughs> just stop talking. It's better to be, have your, keep your mouth closed and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I always thought you were stupid, but now for sure, <laughs> I know. Just stop talking. I know. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Hey, it's better for us in our relationship with God in everything that we do to be genuine and sincere in, in, in that relationship. What does that mean? It means you do what you say. You don't say stuff that you're not gonna do. You don't act like you're somebody you're not. You don't go hastily to the house of God. You don't offer the sacrifice of fools. You're real. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. Incredible sentence. Three words. We do bring this reverence back to the forefront. When we are able to be people who worship God rightly, well, authentic, genuinely, we're careful what we say, careful what we make promises about, we're intentional in how we live our life, we're restful in our relationships and in our commitments, we're able to remain in that rest before God. I don't know if that makes sense for you, but it does for me. I look at my life and I look at the things that are going on and the busyness and the craziness. And, and when I start to feel like burnout setting in, I run to the feet of Jesus because I want to be a good representative of who he is. I don't want people to see me fall apart because I'm not trusting in him. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. We're going into the, the last part of the first section. If you see the oppressor, oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the prophet of the land is, is for all. Even the king is served from the field. I think we're talking about, really, this brings the first part of the chapter together. We're talking about authority, and we need to understand whose authority we are under. And the first part begins with God, because God is God. He's in heaven, we're on earth. He's the ultimate authority. We want to submit ourselves to him and, and cultivate our relationship with him based on that. And not to mention, fear the Lord, you know, as a reverence to God. And then he goes over into this section, uh, but it's still connected, the thoughts connected, I believe, and it's that you're going to have authority of man over you too. And don't look at the world and get all upset and frustrated because like all these bad things are happening there and there and, you know, and it, oh, look, it, it's that guy's fault. Listen, it, 
corruption is, goes downhill. So whatever's at the top is ultimately going to trickle down onto everybody else, and it's going to affect the culture that you're in on, on a daily level, on a daily basis. What do I mean by that? I mean, you may think that the corruption at the top doesn't affect you, but eventually it, it's going to affect you on a personal level where you're making decisions based on their authority in your life, and we need to be careful how we process that. Because as Christians, if we allow that culture to affect us, then we start making decisions and acting like the world acts. Now, does, is, that, is that understandable? I have an example for you to, to try to clarify this as much as possible. So when we lived overseas, we lived in this country where they have cultural practices that have just always, they've just always done things a certain way, you know? And it's not for us to come in and say, hey, you're doing it wrong or right. It's just part of their, their culture. So I was talking to this attorney who was a good friend of mine. He helped me start the business. We had a language school. We had a cafe. We were very involved in the community. And I was talking to this attorney friend of mine who had helped me get things started. And, and I was like, hey, why is it like this? Why is it like that? He's like, listen, you need to understand something about this country. The corruption at the top, at the very, very top, the corruption at the top affects these people on a daily basis and they don't even really realize how much it affects them. So what happens is uh, the sales tax there. Does anybody remember if I've ever mentioned before what the sales tax is there? 25% sales tax. So you buy a car for $20,000, you pay 25 and 5,000 goes to the government. Do you know how much I paid in employing, employment tax? Like I had employees in the language school and I had to pay them a paycheck and, and I have an employer tax. Do you know how much the government forced me to pay them? Anybody want to throw a number out there? 50%. So I would literally cut this lady her check and 50% of what she made would go to her and 50% would go to the government. And I'm like, why is it like that? And I had multiple people who were aware and, and, and had an understanding of the way things went there explain it to me like this. The taxes are so high and all the fees and everything are so high because the people won't pay their taxes. So they, they do whatever they can to hide everything and to not give the government anything. So the government keeps raising the taxes to hope that the people who are paying will pay more and they'll be able to function. But still, they're not doing well as far as <laughs> monetarily. So the higher they jack up the prices, it mitigates or offsets what people are not giving or the people who are giving are giving a little bit more, which is kind of crazy, don't you think? Isn't that kind of insane? Don't you think that maybe we should just have an honest conversation and sit down and say, we have, we have expenses as a country, and this is, an, this is a reasonable tax for you guys to pay, but we need you to pay it. But it's so ingrained in the culture. Another example, we, we had a, a, a large ministry to university students, our cafe was right next, uh, right next to two of the main universities in the city, and we had a lot of students in and out, and, and I had this student who had become a believer. She was walking with the Lord, and things started to affect her and bother her about her everyday life, you know? And she's like, oh, man, this particular thing came up, and she came to me. She said, Tim, so I have my, my thesis coming up to graduate college, and everybody here has always, that, that, that I know of, everybody here has, has uh, turned in their thesis and however high a grade they wanted, they would slip in some money in the thesis and they would give it to the teacher and then the teacher would grade them based on how well their thesis was, but also how much money they gave. And, you know, we're reading the Bible and I'm learning a lot of stuff and I think that that's wrong. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, yay, somebody listens to me. What should I do? I'm like, you're, you're absolutely right. She said, but the problem is if I don't do it, I'm afraid that they're going to fail me and I won't graduate from college. So I'm kind of, you know, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a stand up for what's righteous, but I might, it might kick me in the end. Like, listen, whatever you do, 
God's going to honor that. But you see what I'm saying? Like the decisions that they make at the top affect people on a daily basis. The, people, the decisions that you make today could be directly affecting you by the decisions that are happening at the top. This is what these verses are saying. If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. Oh, look at that. That's crazy. That's weird. We as believers are subject to the governing authorities. But Jesus said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and render to God what's God's. What does that mean? It means if you are living a a sanctified life from the rest of the world, you're different. God has chosen you. He's pouring his love out into you. By living a life that looks closer to like Jesus, you're not going to look like the world and people are going to notice. People are going to notice. They're saying, how come this not affecting you? You know, we're going to Israel. And this is not a slam on anybody that says this, but this is, this is a legitimate concern that comes up. You're going to Israel. You guys are going to die. What about all this stuff happening in the world? And, and Iran and Iraq and Russia and China. And you know, Listen, if we, if we lived, made decisions on a daily basis based on what's happening in the rest of the world, I would be in bed eating cookies right now. I wouldn't come out. I wouldn't have interaction with people on any level. I wouldn't talk to the checker at at the grocery store. For high official watches over high official and higher officials are over them. They all are part of it. They're all involved. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. From, from, From the very bottom to the very top, everybody's all in it together. Everybody's affected by it, and somebody's going to benefit from it. I recently have a a a good friend that I love very dearly who just recently got into politics and was elected a government official. And I would never have guessed that this person could or should do that by any means. But they did it, and they're doing very well. And I'm, 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 uh, my mind is blown with some of the conversations that I've had with them. And they're like, this is what they said. They said, the, the level of corruption that you see from the outside isn't even anywhere close to where it is isn't anywhere close to where it is. And then they sent me a link to a video of them on a panel, on a board, voting for something, and, and they literally changed the definition of what uh, she did not, she would not vote an affirmative on this vote. So the attorney in the room changed the definition of what it meant so when you, when you decline, I forget the word, but when you decline, then the vote doesn't pass. But the attorney said, in this instance, what you said is an affirmative, and then we're passing it anyway. No, that doesn't make any sense, does it? And they're like, watch the video. Watch. And then here's the follow-up video. It's all recorded for a reason. You don't even know the level of corruption. So what does that mean? Does that mean that I get upset? And now I want to be in politics and do the right thing, you know, because she's doing the right thing. I want to be in, no, well, don't, don't be in awe, don't be in wonder, just recognize what kingdom you're serving in. Recognize what effect you're having on people through your life. Because if it's for God's kingdom, people are going to notice, they're going to recognize, and they're going to say, why are you doing that? That's not like what anybody else is doing, and, and it's stupid. You're dumb for doing it. You say, well, no, I, I know that it's right. It's the, it's the thing that I should do, and I'm not going to do things like the way the rest of the world does. I'm, I'm going to render to Caesar what Caesar, sure, but, but also I'm going to render to God what's God's, which is the more important thing for me and should be the more important thing for us. I spent a little bit more time on that than I, than I wanted to, but, but I think it's important for us. Because at the end of the day, what happens if you have that kind of mentality? You go home, you go to bed, the whole world's falling apart, but you fear God, you're subject to God, you close your eyes, and you can go to sleep, and you can find true rest. Because you're doing unto the Lord the things that you need to do on a daily basis. None of those other people are getting any rest, trust me. They're tweeting like in the middle of the night about how mad they are at other countries. There's not really a restfulness. There's a striving. There's an upsetness. There's an anger. 
but there's not a rest, which God wants you to have. He's offering it to you. He's offering it to me. We're transitioning in verse 10 to the second section. First is God and man. And the second section is called riches and stuff. And it paints a, a very colorful picture of the difference between people who rest and people who strive. Verse 10, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. You notice that people can never get enough. It's just like, if you like silver, you're never going to find satisfaction in silver. If you like stuff, you're ne- why do you think Apple releases a new iPhone every year? Because they know they're a trillion dollar company. They know that they could put a little, a little, you know, new emoji kissy face. And that's the newest thing, and people will go and get it. You know how I know that? Because I get one every year. I got this special plan. You know, hey, just take this phone. It's like you're renting it. Then you turn it, and you get a new phone. I'm like, I can do that, right? Because I want the new thing. I'm just being honest with you. Joseph, don't say it. (laughs) See, I told you Tim was stupid. That's what he was whispering. Hey, it's how people are. This This is a biblical truth. It's a real truth. You're wanting more. You're wanting the next. And what does he say? You're never going to find satisfaction in it. He gives us the answer uh, in the conclusion. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? I really like this verse. Does, any, does this make sense to anybody, this verse? It could be kind of difficult to understand what he's saying. So what I did for you is I put it on the New Living Translation. I translate this verse very well. This is what this verse actually means. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Hey, <laughs> How many of you, how many of you um, know somebody rich, <laughs> like rich? How many of you want to be their friends? Yes, I want to be your friend. In fact, I feel closer to you than I've ever felt before because I just realized or I just heard that you, you are a millionaire. I have a, a friend who is, just became a millionaire, true story. I have a friend that just became a millionaire, and my, you know, my heart is like, you haven't talked to them in a long time. You need to let them know how much you care about them. <laughs> maybe, maybe mention that you guys are you have starting this building project and you're going to try to get into your own building. They don't want to pay taxes and all that money. And, you know, I'll be your friend. If riches increase, your friends come around you to help. So what's the, what was the end result? The end result's Vanity. There's, there's no satisfaction. There's no rest in it. And obviously, I, I use myself as a bad example. So that's not true. I don't talk to them or ask them for money. But, but the natural inclination is that how can I benefit from this relationship monetarily? I think for most people, not for believers, hopefully. I talked to a brother after the first service used to be a guard in a prison. And he said, it's really funny. You said that thing about when riches increase. I had this, this person who was in jail, this prisoner, who was a drug dealer. And I was talking to him one day, and he's like, you know, what really bothers me is that, that um, I was doing really well when I was dealing drugs. Like, I was a hustler, and I made a lot of money. I made a ton of money. And all of a sudden, like, I had relatives that I never even knew existed. Like, when they knew I had money, I had people coming out of the woodwork. Now here I am in jail, nobody will even talk to me. He's like, it's so sad how true that is. And prison probably is the most rest that he'd gotten in a long time. But is it when that's how relationships work? It's sad. He ends up being the guy in verse 17 when we get there. When goods increase, they, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them 
with their eyes. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit them to sleep. Isn't that sad? The more you have, the less rest you get. But the guy who wakes up, we're not trying to take away from being a hard worker. Absolutely not. The guy who gets up and, and gets to the day and works hard and he labors for his family and he labors for those he loves. He goes home. He has a clear conscience before God and he's able to rest. And his sweet, his sleep is sweet. But the guy who needs more, the abundance of the rich will not permit them to sleep. I actually heard a statistic that listed, it was less of a statistic and more of a a factoid, I guess, but it listed um, the top 10 richest people in the world, and then it said how many books those people read per year, because I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but famous people read a lot. They saturate themselves with information, so they know, because the more they know, the more money they think they can make. So So part of the figure was the book thing, but that's not the point, and the number of hours that they slept. Some of these people sleep like three, four, five hours a night. I was talking to a, a different millionaire friend who I've used before. It's a different guy. And he said, uh, he said uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm hungry for success. I'm going to be successful. He's a millionaire now. He says, I'm going to be a billionaire. I know I'm going to be. And I'm hungry for it. I'm going to work hard. And if, if all, the, all the people who have six figures, they all wake up at six, seven o'clock to go to work and get their day started, then that's great. If the millionaires uh, wake up at, at, at five o'clock, then, then I'm going to, you know, not wake up at five o'clock because they're all, there's a hundred thousand of all these people and the, the, the million, millionaires wake up at, at six, the billionaires wake up at five and, and I want to be a billionaire. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wake up at four every day to start my day so that the pool of people who want to be successful isn't a hundred thousand people. How many people are willing to wake up at four o'clock in the morning because they're hungry for success? Uh, Uh, there's like a thousand at four. So I'm going to make the pool as small as possible so that I have a better chance of being successful. And in theory, it's like, you're crazy, but it makes sense, you know? And these people who are ultra rich, they, and this isn't a slam on him. So if you're watching online, bro, I love you. Send me a couple thousand dollars or something. This isn't, this isn't a slam on him. It's just the focus on, on restfulness, Because it's about the stuff, right? That's the point. It's, a, it's about stuff. It's about filling your life, and it's never going to be enough. The person who works hard and, and he labors hard, the laboring man, man his, his rest is sweet. It's not that we don't work hard, but there's a, there's a line to draw, and, and, and what's the reason that you're doing it, really? There's a severe evil, which I have seen under the sun, Riches kept from their owner for his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. This poor guy, he was rich. He had everything, and then he had everything taken away from him. And not even those who were closest to him were able to benefit from it. And this is also a severe evil. Just exactly exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? Labor for the wind? What does that mean? The wind is here today, gone tomorrow. There's no profit. And I hate the wind. So don't labor for the wind. Who likes the wind? Who likes the wind in Vegas? The wind in Vegas is terrible. Man, it's like a blow dryer blowing in your face. Like, oh man, don't roll the, can we roll the windows down? No, it's 115, how you want to roll the wind? You're going to kill us. <laughs> Kids, roll the window down and go working for the wind, aren't you? You little bugger. What profit has he whose labors for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. This is really sad because this guy who had everything now has nothing, and he's utterly alone. 
He's alone. Not only does he not have any money, but he doesn't have any friends or family either. And not only does he have, not have any friends or family, and he's alone, but he also has much sorrow. He regrets a lot. Sickness and anger. He turned into a bitter old man who had nothing um, good that came from his life. He reminds me of Scrooge McDuck, except those three nephews really changed his perspective, you know. Grumpy old man. Then we go into our conclusion, chapter 5, verse 18, wrapping things up. Here's what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life God gives him. For it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God, for he will not dwell unduly all the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Here's what I've seen is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor with which he toils under the sun in all the days of his life which God has given him, for it is his, inherit- his heritage. This is a repetitious phrase that we've seen in previous chapters that keeps coming up because he wants to drive this point home. He's saying, remember from the study on contentment, he's saying, hey guys, like God has given you things. God is good to you with what you eat, with what you drink, with the things that you have. Be happy with those things. Be happy with your position in life right now. Be happy with your job. It's your heritage. Receive it. Be content in it. And when you are, when you look at what you have, you're thankful to God, you hold it close to your heart, you receive it as a gift of God, as your heritage, and you become okay with it, then what are you able to do? You're able to have rest. You're able to relax. That's what he's saying. Relax. Relax. But sometimes we can be so uptight about how things aren't going the way we want things to go because who's in charge? I'm in charge. Now listen up. This is how I want my life to look. And God's like, just relax. Like I said, your life can change in an instant. In an instant. God knows what you're going through and he's going to take care of you. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. I just found myself recently, you know, talking to the Lord and, and praying and just thanking him for his goodness in my life. I'm like, God, you know, you are so, so good to me and my family and the way that you've taken care of us. And, you know, I remember, I remember having, having, noodles, Grace making noodles with, with butter, you know, with a little bit of butter melted in with some red pepper flakes for dinner because we couldn't afford anything else. And a box of pasta in Europe is like 25 cents. I remember, you know, Grace going to the store, taking plastic bottles to give to recycling so that we could have money for one of those kinds of meals. I remember that. I'm like, man, Lord, Never thought I'd be in a place where, you know, we're, we're not only driving one car, we're driving two cars. You know, we each have our own car. And, and I'm, I'm spending almost $3 a gallon to fill those cars up on almost a weekly basis. And, and, and I'm thinking of all the negative and all the bad things that happen in life, but how God's provision has so overshadowed all of those, uh, those negative things in my life my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my friends that I have, you guys, you know how much this church blesses me? I'm over the moon. I'm like, God, why are you so good to me? Why are you so good? And then I hear people say things like, why is my life so bad? And I'm like, your life's not bad. You're blessed. You've been given a heritage. God's going to take care of you. He loves you. It's just a matter of perspective right now. 
and what God wants you to have, what you have to be able to be willing to receive from him is the rest that he intends you to remain in. We don't have time to turn there, but if you want, go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 4. Talking all about how God's intention for these people was that they would be restful, not restless. And what they did their whole life, they lived in restlessness that was so unimaginably crazy that that they didn't inherit the promises of God because of it. And if we allow ourselves to be restless in this kind of life, with this kind of lifestyle, if we allow ourselves to be restless, then we're not going to be able to sit at his feet and receive that rest that he so intends us to have. This isn't an accusation as much as it's a warning, as much as it, it, it is us wanting to come to a place, remain in a place where we can have rest in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you so loved us that you sent your son to die on the cross and that Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We thank you, God, that your intentions for us is restfulness. And there's something to say for a good, hard day's work, that it is good. And and we want to be diligent to work hard, to provide for ourselves, to provide for our families. But we don't want the water to get muddied into us chasing riches or wanting to have more because The flesh wants to consume. Thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for walking with us, causing us to lie down in green pastures, leading us beside quiet, still waters and restoring our soul continually. We thank you, Father, for your word to us today. We want to be about continually resting.